We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth. The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So good to be. You know how much I sacrifice? You think that's air you're breathing? Groovy. I don't have friends. I got family. We are services so trent so parth riddle me this riddle me that what have you been eating a big black bat parth it's parth it's the batman week it is it's uh i don't know if this is a shock to the listeners it's a little bit of a shock to us it's this is a super recent development but um we'll just get at what we've been eating out of the way because we've got a pretty pretty awesome interview time timely even on the weekend that it was released Hmm. Hmm. That's just an interesting coincidence. Um, but so that you know, right now I'm at friend of the show, Sophia Alexis's college house. I know that because her Wi-Fi was bad and it almost jeopardized almost her interview. almost sabotaged last... an interview. Yeah. Shout out to friend off the show, Shane Mady. He gave me his room, which has much better connection. But our, our guest, William Hoy, the editor of the film, joked that, uh, it would be hard for you to sustain your relationship going forward, given that your spouse has bad internet connectivity. And I was like, this is going to be a good interview. This guy can hang. Yeah. But to answer the question, uh, Sophia and I made chocolate chip pancakes as like a brunch wow. type deal. It's very like Norman Rockwell of you. I know. Um, and they were delicious. How about you, Trent? I just ate a clementine. Uh, you watched me do it. I did my famous thing. Parth, I haven't eaten anything. You said, eh, go eat something so you can talk about it. So what was the word you s- said? So I wouldn't be intellectually bankrupt on the show? Something uh, so, like something about your integrity. Yeah, Yeah, and so F- I just said, oh, I'll just drink this glass of water. And you said, that's not enough. No. Well, it's not what you. What have you been drinking. If, you, if, it, if that's what it was, then that would have been fine. But this is craft services, damn it. Yeah. So what have you been you- eating? You uh, you are right. Um, well, should we talk about the movie of the week this week on our show? I think it's time we should just get straight into it because I think the listeners are excited. Give the people what they want. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say William Hoy edited the shit out of this movie. And let's talk about it with him. I'm going to edit the shit into this intro. Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. This week, we have a big catch, folks. Big catch. Big fish. Big movie. Yeah. Big bat. A big blockbuster. The big black bat. It's the Batman. Matt Reeves' movie. We were able to secure William Hoy, the editor. We secured him, all right. He... Uh, we always say this, but this time, uh, sometimes, sometimes it's more hyperbole, more sometimes it's less times. hyperbole, but this is, this is one of our better interviews, is it not? No, um, it was, like, I said off air that it revitalized my lust for life in terms of, uh, you know, breathing air, doing the pod, you know, going from day to day life, William Hoy sparked me, and, uh, like the Riddler, like, the, like, Gotham's a powder keg, and Riddler's the match, you know? Yeah. So I guess I'm Gotham, and William Hoy is the Riddler in this scenario. 
Parth, we were just everything off- burns. Everything burns, Parth. Parth, we were just off air on the secret Batman website. Do you want to talk about that? Well, why don't we? Oh wait, was that off air that he told us about that? That was off air. Why? Why don't we play the interview and then talk about that at the end? Uh, but but just j- just to tease some goodies. Should everyone have, should everyone have seen the Batman? Isn't there a spoiler around like the twenty minute mark or something? Uh, uh, there's like a mild spoiler warning. We don't really give any. If you haven't seen the movie, I think you can rest easy. All we do is we kind of mention an action sequence that is featured pretty prominently in trailers. I think if you haven't seen the movie, you could still listen to this. Yeah, I I think so, too. There's really no plot points. There's no scenes. There's just one action sequence, again, that's been prominently displayed. And even then, not much about it. Just the process of making it, I guess. But intentionally, we avoided uh, key, key points. Spoilers, even. Yeah, but um, if you're if you if you want to go in completely blind as a bat, if you will, go go see it at your nearest theater. Hopefully on a big old screen. Parth and I saw an IMAX. Parth just saw for a second time last night. It was dope. Yeah, no, just to tease out some stuff he talks about. He talks about why uh, Carmine Falcone's name mm. is pronounced that way. He talks about how the movie changed over the course of COVID. Um, he talks about how he works with. Michael Giacchino, the the composer, mm. and with Matt Reeves, the director, uh, there's there's a lot of stuff. I think if you're a fan, yeah, um, he edited the whole movie. Well, he he's well he co ed- he co edited he, co-edited. he talks oh. about that too. Yes, um, and it was super cool. You should listen. Seems like you're already here. Seems like you're well underway to listening. So we're on to like minute seven of recording for this I've, intro, and I think I'm we should just let him listen. So let's just let the listening begin. Just keep the, keep those ears open. All right, everybody. Cue the interview. Please enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our interview with William Hoy. He's the editor that's worked on such films as Dances with Wolves, Watchmen, and War for the Planet of the Apes. He's also edited Matt Reeves' The Batman, which opens this weekend. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. So just to start off, talk about how you got involved with filmmaking and more specifically with film editing. I guess it goes back to Robert Altman days is where uh, we started. When I say we, my sister uh, started, out, I was, started out as an actress, and she was in a movie that shot in Vancouver, where I'm from. The movie was McCabe, Mrs. Miller. And so my sister had a role in that and then followed uh, Robert Altman or was invited by Robert Altman to come down to Los Angeles and continue her career. And in those days, Robert Altman operated kind of like a repertoire company that if you weren't acting, then you were doing research. And if you weren't doing research, if it was uh, after uh, production that maybe you were doing post-production so and I was going to uh, film school whatever film school we had in Vancouver at the time just trying to learn something about filmmaking and there wasn't any films being shot in Vancouver in those days I mean that right now it's completely different uh, scene that it is you know in the day that when I left Vancouver so so there was nothing going on up there. So my sister said, why don't you come down here and, you know, if you want to continue your education or if you want 
just see what's going on down here because you know, this is where they make film if you want to get in film. So Robert Altman had a company called Lionsgate, not to be mistaken with the Lionsgate that exists now, but he had a company. His company took movies from the very beginning, from research, development, all the way to post-production. So, you know, the, there was a crew for all of that. So I happened to walk in on a movie called Three Women and the editors, they, I'd go there for lunch and they, they would see me all the time, and, and at some point, the head of post-production there said, would you like to come and work for us? And I go, oh, yeah. So that's how I got into editorial. You know, I I, I think there was a, there's a lot of people that say, I want to be a director, I want to be a producer, I want to be a writer, because that's where all the creative uh, uh, input's happening. But uh, I quickly realized that as an editor, there's a lot of creative input, so... Uh, I started there as an as, as an apprentice, an assistant, and uh, was lucky enough to move up, continue being an editor, and uh, that's kind of how my career transpired. And can you explain how you became involved with Matt Reeves? Because before the Batman, you worked on some of the Planet of the Apes movies. Yes, that's and right. I, I, don't, I don't know if it went back even further than that. No, no, I, I met Matt on. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. So, you know, a lot of times for people who work in the film industry, it's this kind of uh, uh, synergy, I guess is the word, that uh, things come together. You know, I have worked at Fox on a, a Fox, 20th Century Fox, as it was. I worked there on, a, on a, a few pictures. So the people there knew me. Also, the producer of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Dylan Clark, he knew me from a Zack Snyder movie, uh, Dawn of the Dead, because uh, the studio, Universal at the time, asked me to come in to help out on that picture because uh, the picture wasn't going very well at that point. Uh, the studio had seen it and it wasn't going very well. So so I knew Dylan from that. So through all that, through Fox and and uh, Dylan got me the interview with, with Matt Reeves because he was looking for an editor who had visual effects background. And uh, so so I went in and met Matt, and uh, that's kind of how our relationship started. So to sort of expand on your relationship, what's your what's your guys' process like? Well, you know, it, it certainly evolved from uh, the very first day that we met, obviously, we started working together because uh, Matt's a very, he's a very meticulous uh, uh director and I, I guess you could say that for a lot of directors but uh he wants to go through the movie step by step and that's how he goes through it so in in working with him then you have to kind of establish a certain trust that uh what you're putting together that you've actually gone through the dailies and looked for the the best performance and not only that that the scene has form and structure to it that kind of tells a story that that he wants to so it's it's that trust that you have to build with uh, any director so you know that takes a while because uh you know there's so many ways you can put together a scene a movie and and uh, so that's all left to interpretation or it's left to your director is trying to 
direct it, put it in a certain direction. So I believe that you know our working relationship didn't really become a solid working relationship until we had to solve a problem within the first movie, which was Donald the Planet of the Apes, and that was the uh, the uh, the attack on the the human outposts because uh, that that scene wasn't that scene wasn't working, and so uh, with knowing some visual effects background having some visual effects background and knowing that we can manufacture different things is, is where, where he and I reimagine that scene. And it is, it stands uh, the way that we reimagine it now, but it took he and I sitting in a room and just working that out. So it's basically it was rewritten and uh, uh, reconceived. And so then he realized that we're kind of on the same page with, with a lot of things. So that's the kind of trust uh, I believe you have to build with a director so that, you know, on war it was easier so that I felt more free to put scenes together. And then on this one, even further than that. So, and now it's evolved in, into a full and friendship because, uh, you know, it, you, you can't help, but when you work together that many hours that, uh, you know, you get to know his family and you get to know his ups and downs during the day and mine and all that kind of stuff. So, because we're we're in a cutting room for hours and hours at a time, so so it's you know it's now it's trust and friendship. So it's uh, it it was a pleasure to work on this one for sure. This one being the Batman. Batman. <laughs> this one, the Batman. <laughs> so we just wanted to know, like, how did you? When did you know that this was this is your next movie, your next project? You know what? When we were finishing War for the Planet of the Apes and. We still had months to go on it, and I, I knew that he was taking some interviews. I wasn't; we were just too busy to talk about what was going on. But he was he was taking uh, interviews with Warner Brothers, and they wanted him to do uh, the Batman. And they had a script. I think uh, you might know that uh, the Ben Affleck script. Ben Affleck was involved at that point. You know, he read the script, and and it's documented in interviews from him. And he also told me that. He said, look, I know, you know, I, I read the script and that's one way to go. And, uh, but this just, it's, it's not something that I can do. I, I, I have to do it my way. I, I need to, it's, it's not something that I can put my heart and soul into because it's not something that I would do. And, and so the studio says, so what would you do? So he pitched them this story. He pitched them this idea and, the studio goes, oh, oh, okay, do that. <laughs> so, and then he had to write it. So, so at at the end of war, he knew that uh, I had been approached to do other projects and and a quite long term project that would take me out out of our uh, my schedule with him. And he said that, uh, oh, don't do that. Come and do the Batman with me because uh, you know I, I want you to do the Batman. And I went, okay, well, that's a Batman I want to see. So yes, um, I'll make myself available for that. So that's. That's how I, that's how I ended up on the Batman. Because you make yourself available for the Batman. Yeah. And how, how early? That actually sounds kind of funny. <laughs> no, like no matter what's going on, you make yourself available. Yes, right, right. Um, sure. So, how early on, like, did you start getting footage? And like, were you? I would imagine you were under lock and key this whole time. Well, Matt started pre-production sometime in 2019. I would say it was like September. He had he left for London. So he's in London 
And uh, I usually start a project about, uh, I like to get in there at least a week before production begins, before they start shooting so I can set up the cutting room, make sure the pipeline for dailies and everything so that uh, from the first day that they start shooting, I'm seeing dailies and everything is running smoothly. So I actually left for London, I think it was like January 19th of uh, 2020. So then, you know, I'm, I'm there in London and he's shooting. We get about a quarter of the movie shot and then COVID happens and they shut down the production. So then I fly home uh, March 17th. So flew home, not knowing if the production was going to continue because you probably remember in those early days of COVID, you, nobody knew what's going on. I mean, you know, you could look out in the street and people would be dropping dead. You, you didn't know. You just nobody knew. I think it's it's a little in our rearview mirror now. But uh, you know, so I came home, and I like a lot of people just sat and did a lot of binge watching <laughs> TVs and read a lot of books. By the way, so I don't have an opportunity to do that very often. But at some point, obviously, I'm communicating with Matt all the way through this, and uh, and he's doing. He's continuing to work on on previs and he's continuing to work on certain scenes. And actually, COVID actually gave him an opportunity to put more time in uh, pre-production of the Batmobile chase because uh, that was a little lacking in prep because once once the movie starts rolling. There's so many things going on. He's go, yeah, we'll cover, we'll, we'll take care of that later. It's never going to happen. So, so the break in between gave him an opportunity to revisualize uh, that whole that whole Batmobile chase. So that that was one of the pluses that came out of COVID. If you can think, any plus came out of COVID. So, but then we didn't start we didn't start up again. So what happened was uh, we're gonna we get the uh, we get the notice that. They're going to start shooting again sometime late August. So that's when they moved these Abbots into my house and the other editor's house and uh, my assistant who's here in L.A. And plus we're continuing to keep the U.K. assistants and they're redoing they're doing the daily. So I think a year or two ago without COVID, I don't think the studios would have ever allowed us to work from home remotely on a picture of this size with such uh, important uh, intellectual property that, you know, that piracy is, is yeah. crazy. I mean, so you don't want to be the guy that leaked the Batman. Absolutely not. You, you don't, you don't want any image to leak out. So it, it's kind of amazing that nothing, that there wasn't a breach, like given all the breaches in like the new Spider-Man per se, right. like this was airtight. Right. So, I mean, I, you know, I, it's because it's our crew. It's we take we take every precaution, you know, uh, when things go out, it, there's a certain uh, uh, protocol that you have to go through. But, uh, you know, they put in a firewall here in my house and, uh, you know, and, it, and, it, and the dailies were shipped. Uh, so I, I believe everything was encrypted. So they it wasn't that they didn't take precautions we took every precaution and uh but uh you know it it allowed us to work from home and uh which i've fought for years i i just thought i don't want to get up and walk to the other room and 
start cutting. That just sounds like a drag to me, but it wasn't so bad. <laughs> I actually have dinner with my wife at about 6.30 and go back to work. Whereas if I'm at work, there's no chance of that. You know, right. I, our hours are insane sometimes, you know, so, so you're just like dinner, forget about that. You know, we'll get home or whatever, 11 midnight, you know, after working full day. So, but so, so then we started, we started up again in August working here and they start shooting. And as soon as they start shooting, Barbara Patterson got COVID. So we had to shut down again. So we shut down. And the meantime, now we, now our other systems are up. So we kept on going and, uh, and then finally we moved back to Warner brothers in February of 2021. And so we set up the cutting rooms there and they had very strict COVID protocols. You couldn't have more than two people in the room. They had to be wearing a mask. The building we moved into is one of the big editorial buildings. There was nobody in there. It was really spooky, really weird. You know, that there was nobody on the lot because uh, all the people in the office, all the executives, they were in Hawaii or somewhere. I don't know where they were. <laughs> but they were, you know, there was nobody on the lot. So it was it was just a strange time. But we set up our rooms and uh, we're all in our separate rooms and we set up Matt, our director's room, separately and set up his monitor so that he could see exactly what I'm seeing in my room. So, and so that all worked out. So when, when Matt was done shooting, he came in, we showed him the picture. And so that's kind of the timeline of, of what happened and uh, how we started ended up in the cutting rooms. You mentioned that there was another editor, I believe it was Tyler Nelson. Tyler Um, Nelson. Yes. So how was uh, work divvied up? Were you both working on scenes? Were you just given different scenes? Yeah, well, it's, when dailies would come in, you know, I'd be working on one scene, and and then if I'm occupied, then he would take another scene. So in some cases, we kind of overlapped, you know, and so, but we, you know, I put the movie together, and, you know, we had talked about the fact that uh, everything has to kind of come through my system because I actually mix the the music and the sound effects and all those different things just for any kind of screening. And so I did that for for Matt, for for his screening, because uh, we have the tools and, you know, in the day of film, you you don't have multi-tracks of sound effects and multi-tracks of music that are overlapping. And it's it's just a very difficult thing to do. So everything has to come through my machine. So then I mix it and then we we showed it to Matt. So but any scenes that he's cut, if it's not including in this particular version, you know, I said, you know, Tyler, you should show it to Matt that if there's ideas in there that he likes. And I do the same thing with any scene that I've cut that's not in there. So we did overlap. But ultimately, what happens is once we start working with Matt, Matt comes in and he's, like I said, he's very meticulous. He's going to go through from point A, B, C, down the line. He's going to go through all the dailies and make sure that he's got what he set out to get in in his performances with the with the actors and then with the scenes that need visual effects, we talk about that. So we go through the movie step by step. It's a, it's a process for sure. So since you've spent more time with this movie than say most of the people on earth um, <laughs> in the edit, was there any scene in particular that was particularly like difficult or satisfying to get right? Or that like the payoff was really nice. Well, I mean, there's, there's a, a few things. I mean, I, Say the. Let's we can put a mild back. spoiler warning for. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, let's let's say the uh, the difficult scenes. Well, let's let's 
pick one is the Batmobile chase mm-hmm. because they try to previous some of that. They storyboarded some of that. But like I said, it was one of the uh, things that was re-envisioned uh, during COVID. So that was shot over many days over a long period. So we had little bits and pieces coming in at the time. There was It wasn't like, oh, we shot for three weeks and here's the Batmobile chase, put it together. So we would get a close-up of uh, Batman. We get a close-up of Penguin. We get uh, like one day we'd get the Batmobile coming around the corner with the tires and the water splashing in our face. And not only that, there's certain, there, there's certain shots. I mean, there, certainly there's, there's shots in there that are all CG, but there's, there's shots in there that are very subtle visual effects too. So, you know, all that has to be put together. So from the previous until ultimately what it ended up was very very different and and that's because of they what they went out and shot and uh so what you ended up with you used to put together and and then after that fact if it's lacking in any way anywhere then we use the resource of visual effects to to help us out so that's that's one of the scenes that and i have to tell you the other part of the difficulty the difficult part of it was all those monitors oh my god the you know when you get first get into the bat cave mm-hmm. and you see all those monitors well they didn't exist in the shoot so they shot some temp uh, version of that inside the monitor so that there would be some light playing on our actors faces but all that had to be cut in after the fact and so that had to play against our our characters bruce wayne and alfred in that scene and we have we have news footage playing in the background. We have that uh, uh, what looks like a like the it's the contact lens uh, point of view. So we have that playing in the other monitors. So we have all that playing, and and that's true for anything and any of those ones that have have monitors in it. So that that was a that was a big deal. So you, you're kind of speaking on a lot of the VFX shots, and I was kind of wondering. With a movie like this, and I guess maybe to more of an extent the Planet of the Apes movies, uh, when visual effects are such a big component of what you're editing, what's the kind of like logistical process for that? Like, are you just editing the raw footage that they send you first and then sending that out to the VFX houses? Or is there like a process that we don't know about? Uh, That's basically it. So I would say that when when you're doing a visual effects picture, the visual effects houses have budgeted a certain time and a certain amount of money so that there are what we call keystone shots, which is what does Gotham look like with all those signs in the square and what's that look like? So, you know, when we get the shot of the, what we call the drifter riding his motorcycle back, we pick that shot. It's a single shot. We ship that off to the visual effects house, the visual effects department, and they then begin to work on that shot because it's probably going to exist in that form, whether it's slightly shorter. So we try to make it a little longer than usual than, than what we think. So, but we, you never know if there might be something interesting that the visual effects department adds in there. But so that's kind of where you start. You so start with shots that you pretty sure are going to be in the picture. And then the other piece to say, let's say the Batmobile chase. There's certain uh, parts of that that's, you know, that's 
that's going to be there. That shot's going to be there too, in some form or fashion. Or there's there's shots in there that we need to work on this quick because we're talking about concept here. When this truck turns on its side and hits the overpass, what is that exactly going to look like? And how does that actually happen? Because they actually shot practical. They actually shot a version of a semi tilting to the side, but it it it, it just never looked right. And plus, you're not going to drive that into an overpass. So all of that, how do you envision that? So so we had to put that together and in in our mind, just think how long that's going to take. And that's how you proceed and you pass that off to the, the visual effects house and they begin to work on it. And and once we get different versions, then we begin to modify it again and again. So that's that's basically how visual effects happens. I mean, as as far as some of the the uh, the monitors are concerned. I mean, obviously, that's a, mostly that's based on what our characters are doing within the context of the scene and what's playing in the monitor. So, you know, that that becomes a little bit more of a, a background, a subliminal thing that's playing against what Bruce Wayne is seeing, what he's doing, and and then after he leaves, what Alfred thinks about what just happen and what Bruce Wayne what Batman saw that night so so those are the kind of things where that helps further the story but it's not it doesn't dictate the actual length or pace of it it's more about how how our characters the main characters are are interacting with those particular monitors so with an original score as this film has how uh, are the how are the editors and the composer Michael Gaicino like how, how are you guys collaborating to figure out what goes where and why and how Yeah we had a, a real bonus on this and uh, it's so rare Michael Giacchino wrote a suite for a Batman so the Batman theme and he had sent it to to Matt Reeves and he had, he shared it with me. It's it's an amazing piece, but it's crazy. He, but he said what he's going to do before we even started principal photography. Michael Giacchino went into Abbey Road and recorded for a whole day. So he recorded the Bruce Wayne theme. He recorded the Batman theme. He recorded the Selena Kyle scene theme. So he there was certain themes that he recorded already. So. We didn't have to, we being myself or the music editor, didn't have to go and scramble and try to find something that could stand in for the Batman right. theme. Now, how are you going to do that without, you know, that's impossible without without calling upon some... so, so did you not use temp music? Well, what happened was after, we did, but not not in the same way we would have if we didn't have all right. these particular themes because we had... We had, when I say we have the Bruce Wayne theme, we had three, four different versions of it. The Batman theme, we had like three different versions of it. And so, but they not only that, they gave it to me broken down into different elements. Uh, we had the synth track, we had the harps, you know, we had the horns, we had the percussion. So we had all, I had all that separated so that if I went into a scene and I wanted a piece of music, I could just play the synth track. Or I could just play the harp, and in, in a lot of cases, that's the indication that was put in there for the temp. And ultimately, 
it was a template for the final score. We have a, a great music editor, Paul African, who's worked on the eight movies too. So he came on once we went back to the studio sometime around that time. So at that point, he then took these Michael Giacchino's music and then he would craft it so that there's this there's other temp music and you don't really know that it's temp music because he he gets all the different breakdown of all these different uh, temp music from all these different movies too. So 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 he's he's able to manufacture different uh, score for us in, in different places. So that's so it's a real luxury to have that to to have your your theme. I've I've never actually had that. Actually, on on Don he did write a, a whole suite, but we could only use so much of it. It wasn't broken down and recorded quite like the uh, the themes for Bruce Wayne, Batman, and Selina in this movie. So that that was a real luxury. This is a movie with kind of a complex plot. Um, were there sequences or scenes that you found? changed or repaired down very significantly from script to screen or just for to simplify so the audience you know there there, there were a few and i i I, th- I think that possibly all the scenes were trimmed in some way with a line here or there that felt like maybe it was repetitious or but the script as it was laid out kind of go scene to scene to scene because it's a detective story. So you couldn't really kind of exercise right. uh, big chunks of it. But, uh, you know, so, but the, there were scenes that were deleted. I mean, there's a scene where after Batman gets his second card from the Riddler, he goes and sees somebody else unmentioned at the moment. <laughs> and to say, look, this is what's going on. What's your thoughts? The idea is that here's Batman, and he goes, instead of taking his own initiative, he goes and sees somebody else for information. So in losing that scene, he goes straight from getting the getting the card from the Riddler to taking action, which he then has Selina go into the club because that's where he can find information. So he's, he's taken initiative and... That works well. So it's it's those kind of things that are trimmed down. Uh, I think the the other areas possibly is when Batman's racing back to he knows that uh, something's about to happen at the Wayne Tower and uh, Alfred is looking at yes right <laughs> he's looking at this uh, this letter that's addressed to Bruce Wayne. So it, in in that there was abbreviation. After the fact, the explosion of him in the in the hospital there, and also with the detective. But there's it it all you know in in trimming that up, it all plays as as a piece instead of these separate scenes that you go from A B C D. So I think I think that had that gave it a little momentum through there that they played all as of a piece because it's uh, it's were with Batman and it's a very subjective uh, setup for for our character and we're seeing it through his eyes. So I'm sure some of these cuts were inspired by uh, some of the, like the test screenings and how like 
after the test screenings, does the opinions of the general public get back to you? Or do they just write down on little pieces of paper and then someone sums it up and then sends you an email about what you have to change? That's that's roughly it, you know. So, but the the this particular movie, uh, more so than other ones, is that it it was more of a point. What what the audience was responding to a lot of times was because there's so many characters in it. It's the point of clarification of the characters. So that's kind of what we took away from. Oh, you know, it, there, it, this isn't clear. Uh, an example is uh, originally the uh, Falcone. His, it's like Genovese or Genovese. You could pronounce it either way. And so through the course of uh, shooting the movie, his name was Falcone originally. I, I, almost, correct, get, I almost corrected you and said you mean Carmine right. Falcone. Right. So it's Carmine Falcone, but we also had Maroni. So we got uh. Falcone and Maroni. So you go, well... Uh, and, and so we screened it, and I think it was one of uh, Matt's writer friends. Because I, 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 I don't know, I, because Maroney never really appears on screen. I mean, he's in the back there in a news clip, but you never get a sense of who's Maroney. I mean, at the moment, even now, he's kind of like Maroney. Who's he? Oh, he's the other guy. So when you have Maroney and now Falcone, then you go, oh, I have no idea what the hell's going on here. So we actually there's an example where we had the visual effects change the lips on on them wow. so that uh, he would because we could actually cut the falcone knee we could cut the knee off or sometimes if we had to we would get a, a adr from but for the most part we were pretty successful in cutting off the knee off the falcone but it was a matter of losing that last little bit of movement on the lips and uh visual effects department helped us out with that so that was pretty amazing so so it became falcone and Maroni. So that's, wow. that's the point of clarification. So I think uh, showing it uh, to an audience, uh, uh, we, we, we get that. So, so that, that, you know, the, you know, so, some of the other points was, uh, I guess, uh, Kenzie. So do we know who Kenzie is? So, you know, we manufactured a, a, a little scene that tells us uh, more of who he is. So when when Selena's going to the club downstairs, that uh, you know, Batman actually sees him and he reminds us that that's the guy that he threw the bat at. I broke his nose. That guy. So so we had to, and then we added a line with for uh, Selena when she's when she comes and sees Batman on on the top of the building where the bat signal is, and you know, so she again realized that <laughs> that dick bag. Kenzie, <laughs> right? Right. So, so those are kind of things that that help with the clarification of of the characters. So, you kind of brought up the sound department, and I was wondering, like, how in conjunction with them are you working? Because it's such a sound heavy movie, yes. uh, and like sound design is so important to it. For sure. So, what kind of work do you do with them? Well, you know, when we start the movie, we're kind of on our own because it's, it's difficult to carry a sound department through the entire production. So, you know, with our sound effects library, we're trying to just temp in some things. I know the, the Batmobile was impossible to do because it's such a distinctive thing, but we tried just to give us an idea, just so that when we showed the picture to Matt, that uh, we had something there. 
because uh, you know th- those are the kind of scenes where there's no sound at all. You know, they, well, out of curiosity, what did you use? Well, uh, our sound designer Will Files, you know, he what we we originally used something like a charger because that's kind of uh, the body is based on something like that. So you know, like a big honking V8 engine. So that's what we started with. But uh, Will Files, the sound designer, he went even further and he recorded different things. And I, I can't remember all the engines and different things, but it's a combination of things, you know. So, so, so when we start, we're just all kind of on our own. But uh, on a production this size, we're fortunate enough to be able to bring them on just before the end of principle of photography, because I said, look, uh, before Matt sees this, we're going to need some sound. So I work in 5.1, uh, and I can do that because the sound effects department, they give me the sound in 5.1. So, you know, you're talking about uh, sound design. Uh, I had conversations with them. What does Gotham sound like? Because we're on the top of the building. I could just put in, like, traffic by and stuff like that but what is that that's that doesn't give you a sense of what gotham is and it's always raining so it's the city so what is that? seven <laughs> right right so but what's that sound like it's a light rain it's a heavy rain it's a rain on a rooftop it's a rain on 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 the train platform say so there's all the sound design that has to happen so we're talking i'm talking to the sound department i give them scenes as soon as i can so that they can begin to temp in some of this sound for me and they give it back to me in five one well i have i have mono tracks i have stereo tracks but i also have the five one tracks from them and so then in the app then i i mix it all down with the music and also so that's that's kind of a where our conversations with the the sound designers are, uh are concerned so it's uh it's will files and uh doug murray who worked on the eight movies with us too so so I've worked with them before, and uh, so you know there's there's a there's a certain rapport that we have, and, and that's great. So an, another element that I think was made through the sound, and that I wasn't fully expecting, is I was genuinely scared twice during this movie, through uh through little jump scares. Yeah. And uh, I would be curious to know if you can guess what the two times are, and if you can, <laughs> I'll, if you can, I'll just tell you. But I'm sure you've spent a lot of time with this movie. Uh, I. I would think, I I would think uh, one is in the orphanage when uh, the guy jumps out. You're one correct. for two. <laughs> and I would think it's probably in the beginning when when uh, when the mayor walks off and when he steps aside and the riddler's right behind him. That's you, right, sir. Yeah. You're 100 percent correct. Yeah. I, uh, I was right next to Trent when that happened, uh, and he jumped like a little child. It was, it was like, beautiful. I'm like it was wonderful. I'm a relatively sturdy guy, and I guess I wasn't going into Batman particularly ready to be jump scared. But it was a really, it was really pleasant. Uh, it, it, it was, it was nice to be caught off guard like that. There's, there's a couple of interesting things about those, those two things, and so let's uh, like the orphanage, for example. You know, uh, so when I mix the picture. And so now we're on preview day and we're, I, I do what's called a run through. So we go through there and we want to make sure that we run the picture. I watch the entire picture in the morning to make sure that everything is right. You know, everything's in sync and uh, the picture looks the way it's supposed to look. So I come back and Matt 
didn't watch the movie. And he says, so what do you think? I go, you know, there's one area where I just, it just needs something else. It just, it's, it's the orphanage when the, when the guy comes out, it wasn't scary. And so what we did was we have that stinger, that, that thing. And so it was after that, I just added that one sound effect for, it, it was actually music. It was a music hit. I just added that. And from then on, that was in because it's, it's a jump scare and you needed that just to, just to hit it really hard. I'm so I'm so glad that you had something to do with that because I was about to mention that exact thing. Whereas in jump scares, when you watch like The Conjuring or whatever, most yep. of the time there's like a music track and it's droning and you can feel it about to like come <laughs> come like this, and you yes. know that the jump is gonna is gonna correspond to that. But yours, the music cue came after, and yeah. so while I was like this, then a <laughs> wave of sound came over me. You know, <laughs> that's that's funny. You know, the 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 other thing too was uh, uh, we're talking about the mayor. And uh, when he walks away. And so so there I put the sting of the music. Uh, you know, it's a, it's kind of like a, a, a percussion hit. And uh, when he walks away. And uh, the actual, the music supervisor was the one that, that brought it up. He goes, you know, I think, I think your, your music hit on the reveal of the Riddlers early. I go, what are you talking about? It happens right as he walks away. But if you revisit that when you go and see it again, you notice that it happens later. You walk away, you discover it, and they go, "Oh my god!" And then the music hits, right? Because if it, because it, if it takes it, your brain a second. That's right. That's right. Because I had it as soon as you could see him. What right. I could see him because you're seeing it frame by frame. Right. Exactly. You you have to allow the audience to absorb it. What the what the hell? Ah! You know. So that's the point. So. So that you know, that was two different versions of a hit. That uh, I'm glad it worked for you, uh, Trent. I'm ready to move into some non the Batman related questions, if that's okay with you. Okay. So you've worked with another director that has made his own version of Batman, Zack Snyder. Mm-hmm. You've worked on a few films with him. You mentioned Dawn of the Dead. You worked on 300 and Watchmen. And we were just wondering what he's like because he's a visionary in his own right. Yeah, I love Zack. I mean. He's he's very collaborative. He's he's quite different in the cutting room than Matt is. He's he, he you know he he'll come in. He'll he'll see something and he'll give his thoughts and uh, I'll address him in in that sense. But uh, he's very very visual. I you know when I first met him on on Dawn of the Dead and he this that was his first feature and so. And I'm I'm looking at you know these beautiful shots of cigarettes dropping on the floor and sparks flying up in the air, but I'm thinking yeah, but it's too long. <laughs> but it, that's the glimpses of what he is visually, and so you know I, I I believe that I was brought in just to to make sure that those things are in there, but that. The, the narrative is there and, and all the scares and all the all the humor that was in there was in there too. And then when 300 was was in the wind, I said, I, I have to do that because it's, uh, first of all, I, I don't know if you guys grew up on the Battle of Thermopylae, but you know, it's one of those things in books and history. It's awesome. Yeah, right? It's, I mean, 300 holding off tens of thousands 
of the enemy at the gates. You know, it's like, um, it's an amazing story, you know. So I said, I have to do that. I have to, you know, some way I got to get in there. And I think he was going to work with the other editor again. And uh, I somehow got in there and uh, and kind of finagled my way into working with him. And and you could see that that was totally visual because we had like King Leonidas sitting on a a rock with a half a spear and this in this stage where you go, is this ceiling high enough? Are we going to see? But he could see it. He could see all that because I said, I'm not so sure about this. <laughs> but he could see it. And uh, the whole lighting of it, uh, the whole idea of, because he comes from commercials and music videos, mostly commercials. And so that whole ramping of action that, uh, he, you know, he's done Gatorade commercials. And if you revisit those early ones, that's exactly what he was doing. You know, so that he would shoot with high-speed cameras, and then it would ramp them down to action. So, so on three hundred, that's kind of what happened. And 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 every shot that he shot that was high speed, that needed to be ramped in some way. I mean, there are so many ways to go. And I thought, oh my God, if if he if we don't see eye to eye on this ramping, I mean, each shot is like. It's like editing a scene. You could go so many different ways, and if if he doesn't if I ramp this and he doesn't see the same way I do is where the impact moment is and, and where we need to slow it down, then this is going to take a long time. <laughs> but as it, as it is, he's so collaborative and that most of it like, Hey, this is great. And, or let's make an adjustment here and there. But uh, so he's, he's, he's quite different than uh, say Matt Reeves in, in, in that sense of working for sure. Did, did you, edit the this is sparta bit was that oh yeah oh yeah was it crazy to see that like blow up the way it did oh yeah you're talking about when he kicks him into the well yeah yeah you know see that's it's it's interesting because you know what i i had ramped that scene so that he kicks him and he as he's falling there's a certain speed to it you know so in the avid we have this uh time warp and so and like i said you could do it so many different ways, but I had it in a certain way that you just caught a glimpse of him when he's falling. Mm-hmm. So, but when I gave it to the visual effects people and they gave it back to us, they go, wait, wait, no, 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 no. Because they had ramped it a different way. Go, no, mm-hmm. you, you have to fall on this frame. I don't, I don't care what you have to do, but there's certain frames you have to have because it's, it's like, I, I liken it to uh, what you would see in a, in a graphic novel, that's the frame, right? So if you're, if he's falling, that's the frame you would have in, 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 in like the square of the graphic novel. So, but yeah, that for sure, that was ramped and uh, that's how it exists in the movie for sure. Trent, are you dying to ask? Yeah. So speaking of auteur directors that you work with, uh, we alluded to earlier that the Batman uh, takes place in Seven City, and you were the assistant or an additional editor on David Fincher Seven. Is this true? I was, I was a, I was a second editor on that. Uh, Richard Francis Bruce, who was cutting the movie, and uh, he was cutting it on film, by the way. So uh, at that point, I was working on an Avid already, and so they, they, they being Richard and uh, David Fincher wanted me to come in, and put certain scenes together 
on the Abbott because it's so much easier to visualize or to to get a result and then and then pass it off to the visual effects house. And you know, one of them is uh, when Morgan Freeman's in the library, and there's a whole mm. series of dissolve. So so I that's that scene. Right. So that's that's one of the things that uh, that if you were to do it on film, you would have to say, OK, I'm going to start to dissolve here. I'm going to go out here and you pass it off to the lab and it comes back and you go, well, that doesn't look right. And you have to do it again. But in the Avid, you can just. Just you do it and then you, you can see it and we can all agree that's what it should be. And then you would take the counts off the numbers off the uh, off the picture and send it off to the lab. So. So that that was my capacity. I you know, I worked on that. I was lucky enough to be a part of that. And I'd say Richard Francis Bruce deserves all the credit for that because uh, I came in as as uh, as a second editor and and uh, I I made some contribution, but uh, I would say Richard Francis Bruce he's the, he's the man on that. I, I I've listened to his commentary track on the seven DVD. Richard Francis Bruce. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and, and you know it's like. Uh, 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 speaking about seven is you know when they hadn't shot the end scene yet, and so so uh, at, at, at the end of principle of photography, so so I and I believe the the studio and the producers are getting a little they were they were not sure that that's how they want that movie to end, and so they were getting cold feet. And uh, Fincher, to his credit, said, "Look." If you want to fuck this movie up, you can do it yourself. I'm not doing it. So, so he got what he wanted, and he. Stuck I think this Brad film. Pitt and Morgan Freeman threatened to walk off. Yeah, he. Yeah. David Fincher famously said, "If this movie is nothing else, I want like 50 years from now someone to say, oh, they won't be able to remember the name, and they'll say the head in the box movie. That's what the movie is. <laughs> That's right. But That's right. I mean, famously." Um, there was the the epilogue was added after the test screening of seven. They like brought up the lights prematurely, like right after the cut to black. Is originally, I mean, spoilers for seven. Uh, <laughs> Brad Pitt shoots a certain someone, and then it cuts to black. Yes. and then people panicked, and then they added the Morgan Freeman epilogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know more about it than I do. <laughs> Barely. You worked on it. So. <laughs> Trent, should I ask? Is it time? Wait, time for the big kahuna final question? Ooh. I, I think it's time. So uh, try not to stay too frightened, but uh, the big kahuna final question is just, what's the last great, not good, great movie you watched? And for the purposes of our conversation, we're going to exclude the Batman, which is, <laughs> for everyone listening, it's a, a great, great movie. It's a great movie. Not good, great. Wow. Okay. And it could be a rewatch or a new release. It doesn't have to be new. I haven't seen, well, this season anyways, I, I, I can't say they're great movies. That's all good movies, but uh, great movie. Wow. I'm going to go see the re-release of The Godfather. How's that? Uh, yeah, nice. The, the 50th? Yeah. yeah. It's coming. It, I think uh, it's going to be playing at the Academy Museum on the 17th. So I got to see, I mean, honestly, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite movies and, and we can only aspire to be anything close to that. I, I haven't been to the Academy Museum yet. Have you? I know it just opened recently. I have. Uh, Is it awesome? It's pretty awesome, you know, because uh, uh, I'm a, I'm a member of it and support it. Uh, I mean, 
I think for film fans, it's uh, it's 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 awesome. I mean, they they have a floor uh, dedicated to uh, different filmmakers and iconic filmmakers and iconic people. You know, they have a little section with Bruce Lee. They have a section with uh, a black filmmaker who I can't remember his name right now, but very early on in I guess it was like the twenties or the thirties. So you know, so they they pay tribute to uh, and and. You know, when they play these clips too, it, you can't help but be inspired again. You know, you you look at these movies that, for me, inspired me all through my entire career, and I'm looking at it, and really, it's like I'm getting choked up. <laughs> you know, it's like when they play the theme uh, from the Blade Runner, I just, oh God, oh my God, you know, it's like. You know, the, the final scene where Rutger Howard dies, like the only lines that I've ever tried to remember, try to memorize. You know? Oh, exactly. Oh, my God. So it's, you know, that that's the part of the Academy Museum. I think for any film lover, they're going to go there and go, oh, yeah, I remember that. But it it's it it's captures you know so so many different directors, so many different aspects of filmmaking. And so it, it's inspiring. And even from my standpoint. You know, so that I go back to work and I'm inspired. You know, and I try to make movies that are anywhere close to those particular movies that I've talked about. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to avoid your question. <laughs> well, well, we'll take the Godfather. I think that's a that's a fair. Are, are they are they changing it in the re-release? Is there like 30 seconds of new footage or something? Or no, there- from what I understand, they're going in and they what uh, Coppola did was he he's restoring it to its its uh, original release glory as far as the look of it and the sound so he's 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 gone back in there and uh you know so hopefully the blacks are totally black and it's it's punchy where it needs to be i don't think punchy is the way to describe the godfather but yeah. you know like there's some reds in there that you want to poke through the blacks and things like that so i would imagine that's what he was after but i i read a little bit about it I don't think he's added anything because he says there's those versions are out there already. The different versions of the Godfather, you know, like the, the, the whole, he had one was his, uh, it takes it chronologically and yeah. different things like that. So, so I, I don't think that was his intention. I think this is just to restore it to what it was when on the day of release is, is what I, is what I heard. Awesome. Uh, Trent, you want to wrap us up? Sure. Thanks again to uh, William Hoy. Uh, What a wonderful interview. He's worked on such films as Dances with Wolves, Watchmen, War for the Planet of the Apes, and he's also just edited uh, Matt Reeves' The Batman, uh, which opens this weekend, and you should go see it at your local theater. Uh, Thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. Your time. Thank you, Trent. Thank you, Parth. And thank you guys for being fans, and thank you for getting out there and going to see the movie. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Oh, oh, it's our pleasure. We'll go, we'll go see the Batman again. <laughs> okay, I'm good. seeing this movie three times. In theaters, yeah, yeah. At least. All right. I love it. Uh, all right. <laughs> hey, Parth. Hey, Remember, buddy. we host this podcast together, no? That's what I've heard. That interview is pretty cool, though. I thought it was pretty fucking awesome. How about you? I enjoyed myself. Um, We asked, he answered. Need I say more? 
Yeah, should we talk about the URL? Yeah, this was something of a recent discovery. I guess we should go back to when we saw the movie in theaters, and I'd say about five minutes after the credits, five seconds after the credits started rolling, I, I, I leaned over to you and I said, "Is there a post-credit scene?" And you said, "No." And so we. Well, walked... I wasn't wrong. I wasn't. Yeah, wrong. There is no wrong. post-credits. Scene. You're not wrong. But we walked out of the theater very confidently. And we, like, looked back at the full jam-packed theater, and we were like, look at these idiots. And then what happened? Then we interviewed William Hoy. We finished our interview, and then we were talking off-screen, and uh, he said... Again, this is not really a spoiler, but... No, I would say it's just a suggestion to stick around. At the very end of the movie, there is a website that takes you to a scene that I believe was deleted. It apparently if you solve some encrypted some encrypted riddles perhaps from the riddler that he left for you to decipher. But Parth and I were just looking at him and it's not easy. it's not, it's not like 100% working for us. But we we're also known to be dumb. Like so. if I think friend of the show Jackson Clark were here he would say that this is a simple substitution code and um I'm sure that there are, like, clues around. Whereas we aren't detectives or the world's greatest detective. If Batman were here, this would be much yeah, easier. Yeah, if only we had Robert Pattinson over here. I made a comment as we left the theater that Batman solved the riddles incredibly fast. But he did. Yeah. He's, the, he, he's the world's greatest detective. Uh, but yeah, this is it. This was... Thank you so much to William Hoy. Thank you to his agent, yeah. who I sent the initial email to. William Hoy's agent. Oh, Thanks uh, to everybody that made this happen. Go watch the movie. It's a good it's, movie. It's really we good. like it. You're going like to hear... It. Oh, Trent, uh, Trent, should we talk about what's next happening next week? I was going to say, so I think we're going to discuss this film next week. That is how our show works. Who do you think we'll have on a guest to discuss it with us? Because I think we might. We've been t- uh, t- uh, saying tale of uh, who we saw this with is Jackson Clark, and I think there's a good chance that if you tune into the discussion next week that he may show up. I think that there is a good probability of that, yeah. Nice. It's not guaranteed. Something could happen. He could break his arm, break his leg, break his kneecaps, have a brain, he- head injury, or he'll be on the show and we'll have a great, a great discussion. Yeah, I mean, w- one of those options will happen, you know? Yep. Well, um... Parth, I've had enough. Haven't you? Haven't you? This is going to be a, a long episode for the people at home, I think. Is it? What, the interview was like less than an hour long. It was like 55 minutes. All right, guys, if you stuck with us for the full hour, we appreciate your time. Right. And with that being said, since you've come this far, rate, rate us on Apple Music uh, yeah. or Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Give us five stars. We want Give us that, a review. We want that sponsorship BB. Um, we want to make big dollar dollar bills. We want to be rich and famous, and we want Coca Cola to sponsor us. So we and we and we need your help. But I think that is it for now. Join us next week for our discussion for of the movie, and, and have af- a good one. After that, there'll be even more movies that we'll talk about. Right? Yeah, it's gonna be fucking crazy, guys. Yep. It's going to be, if you can't tell by our tones. After that, is that our Oscar special? We've got to look at the document, bro. you got to go into the, the Google Drive folder. Um, 
Is it though? Like I'm pretty sure. The Oscars is sneaking up on us. Because the Oscars are on the 27th and our episode is on the 20th. Oh, will we even make it to the Oscars? We'll make it. We'll make it. All right. Goodbye, part. The episode's Bye, ending now. My skin.